RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Welcome back to what is episode 60 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Jason Weber, who is head of performance with the Fremantle Dockers in Western Australia. Great chat with uh, Jason, going into tons of detail about his philosophy, uh, learn about his work with in the AFL and also talks about uh, density training amongst other things. Um, so give it a listen and let us know what you think. Jason, welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. Great to have you on. Uh, why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into strength and conditioning and, and some of the, the teams and, and athletes you worked with over the years. Sure. Um, I started, oh, I guess starting was, um, I was an athlete at uh, the AIS in Australia, played rugby relatively seriously up until, uh, I guess, the under-21s, that sort of age group. Um, which I think the only reason I really mentioned that is because I think it, I always think that gave me a great foundation in strength, I think, or certainly strength training skill. I was taught by some very good coaches. Um, did an undergrad and then a master's degree. Um, and kind of by the time I'd finished all that, rugby went professional in Australia about 96. I got in on the, the start of that by 98 was my first full-time gig running a team, which was the Queensland Reds. And then I went Reds, Waratahs, Wallabies. And then from the Wallabies after the World Cup in um, 03 and then 07, I came over to AFL in about 2000, the end of 2008. And I've been with Fremantle Football Club now since then. Right. So that's, 12, 12 years. 12 years, wow. Um, and, and we're going to touch on that a bit later on, kind of in terms of change of squad over the years and things like that, how sure. you deal with it. But um, it wouldn't be wouldn't seem right the, the way the way things are at the moment to kind of see how you're kind of dealing with, with COVID-19, how it's affected your season and, and what you're doing yourself, I guess. Yeah. It's hammered our season. We got to, through all of pre-season, we played our pre-season games and we're leading up to round one and it really started to lift off in Australia. We got one game in. Uh, The really, well, one of several interesting things is um, the AFL actually changed the rules of the game. So we went from a game which is fundamentally 120 minutes long down to one that is now about 100 minutes long, which is really, really significant. Because in all, certainly uh, my experience with rugby and I know a lot of guys who've worked in the EPL, you know, you're really only at that 90 minutes game time and the the amount of physical um, damage that I see done in that additional, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, depending on where the games finish up exactly, is, is quite remarkable. And I've been in a position to do a couple of blood studies over over the years and we've just finished another one and um, it just reiterates the fact that if if we cut the game down to 100 minutes we can recover quite a bit quicker so the long story that is that COVID has changed the nature of our game and when we come back eventually it will change it more because we'll play more frequently I think they want to the AFL want to make us a little bit more 
like not quite like the EPL, but down that path where games are every sort of four to five days, not right. six to six to eight, which is what they currently are. Oh, Craig, that's a that's a massive change, and it leads me to I'll jump to another question I had later down the line. But um, you know, you, you've been working in the AFL and you've had extensive experience in rugby. What what do you think you've you've learned over the years in the AFL that that you think could be applied to rugby? Um, I, I think that the, the, there's some enormous differences. I mean, the amount of distance we cover in the AFL mm. is just so remarkably high, and conversely, the contact is nowhere near what rugby boys uh, uh, have to put up with. I think probably what I think I would bring back to rugby, I've done a lot of study over the last 12 years in running mechanics. um, And I think certainly I'm strong in that. So would rugby, would I, uh, I'd bring something back different to rugby if I came back. But that's only because I've evolved, not because I think AFL necessarily have anything. I think it's just I've grown and got better at things. Um, but certainly uh, a lot of the things I used in rugby, so the, what I was doing with rugby um, back in around that 03, 07, I mean, Wallabies weren't a particularly big physical team at that time. Um, and we competed a lot on our running ability. So there were elements that I... Still, I used back then that I use now in AFL. I just, just AFL, they're bigger. Um, the the structure of the running sets, some of them are still quite similar. Um, so there are there are more commonalities than you'd think, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting perspective. Um, you, you mentioned uh, off air you're you're working on your PhD and, and just saying that you you've been doing a lot of yep. research and things. What, what what is your PhD on, and what what are you looking at? <laughs> well, fundamentally, I'm. I've um, what I've tried to do is make a, a plausible or a realistic tool that coaches can use in the field to analyse um, running gait characteristics um, at a large scale. So if you've got like I have 40 people on the field, could I analyse them all at once? So I've kind of built a method around that and tried to pull together um, a lot of the research. You know the the guys who are current. So certainly J.B. Morin's work, yeah. a lot of uh, Ian Bazotis's work out of Bath University, uh, Peter Wayne, um, and try to bring a few of those schools of thought together because uh, what I started on with the PhD was something more along Morin's, uh, you know, vertical, horizontal, comparative um, line of thinking. But the more and more I've looked at it, you need to, in one sort of one analysis, bring together more components of running. So I've broken down to kind of nine nine features which are um, all non-correlated and, and therefore independent in their own right. So, yeah, hopefully uh, with COVID, maybe the upside is I get to actually write it and get it out to <laughs> yeah. start sharing it a bit sooner. Yeah, and, and how long how long will that PhD process take you? How long you got left writing, I guess? Oh, look, everything's oh, research. All the, the data's done. Uh, statistics are fundamentally done. It's just writing it. So I submitted the first part of my lit review last night, actually. So I'm hoping that I can write relatively fast and just get it done. Compress, I don't know, six months' work into six weeks. Yeah. 
I know that sound, sounds really interesting uh, topic. I'd be uh, very interested to, to hear how that comes out. Um, well, I hope so. Just to make the point, probably it's not just about running mechanics, but it's the rehab piece. So when we're rehabbing people, being being sure that a running mechanic hasn't changed to a point that, uh, you know, understand that are we bringing an ACL back? Have we done everything an ankle? Have we done everything that we need to to make sure it's right? So that's really the kind of the thrust of it is getting the uh, the rehab piece a lot more accurate than maybe it's been in the past. Yeah, cool. That'll definitely be helpful. Um, now let's talk about um, about your kind of philosophy as a as an SNC coach and how you've developed or how you've developed and how it's developed over the years. Yep. I guess uh, the question I get asked based on things I've written on my website is how do you develop your own philosophy? And I, I think it's it's relatively simple, uh, but it just needs to be worked on regularly. So. I would always say to anybody in this industry, commit to paper what you think about things. So on any subject, so if we're talking running mechanics or squatting or recovery, what what is your philosophy? And that, that philosophy basically is the foundation upon which you make decisions. And so it could be very, very simple. And in the early stages of your career, it probably is very simple. And then as you get better and better and you understand more nuances and features of a particular training modality or a particular training means and how they balance out, you'd add more information into them such that, um, you know, I quite regularly talk about the idea of the Terminator, the, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. When he walks into the bar, you know, he's scanning and you can see that red heads-up display. He's scanning and... Every, everything he looks at is comparing each person against statistics. And thus, that's the same thing with your philosophy. When you're coaching, you're watching to say, is this thing correct? Is what I'm seeing, does it match what I expect, what I want? If it doesn't, then it's, it gives you the, the uh, guidance to make a decision and move forward. And then you build your philosophy by speaking to other people, reading, going to conferences, etc., whereby you get information and you measure it off against your philosophy. So you say, do I do I understand that? Do, do I um, do I think it fits? Do I think I need to change my couple of my things to bring that in? And that's how you build over time. Um, but I think the biggest part is committing it to paper, so that you don't have to show anybody, but you have to make a stand. Too many people, um, particularly young coaches, flip between ideals and they can flip from um you know prilipin sort of quality lifting to crossfit in the you know the in one sentence uh you need to sort of refine yourself a bit more and i don't think you need to be a zealot neither in any camp but you bring the ideas that you want together into your operational framework yeah definitely that's, that's great advice uh now this is a question we ask all our um guests on the podcast and it's what what is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning what is the biggest mistake yeah in your opinion obviously it doesn't have to be it's probably sorry karen it's been a while since i've uh seen rugby players make mistakes other than dropping the ball during the game um (laughs) I would say if if I said more, if I took the developmental perspective, 
and said that I think there are some players, not all, but some that in their as they're, they're 17, 18, 19, 20, I think are really, really powerful development years. And I think some athletes um, specialise a bit too early and they try to – I see some players going to a really quite advanced lift. Now, if you take Olympic lifting as an example, just your standard clean. Guys clean some really big stuff you know, 120, 140 kilos. I've equally seen the guys who get stuck at, you know, 100 kilos with a body weight of 100 kilos. So you've got to question, is it really that effective when you could probably jump squat with, you know, 120 on your back to some extent? So investing in those skills early gives you so much more later on. So I wouldn't necessarily say they're mistakes, but I think people paying respect to learning really good skills early on, I think pays off massively down the track. And I think when you look at for, for you know, an Australian athlete like David Pocock, um, Michael Hooper, Michael Hooper I had some work with, I worked with when he was very young, were very good at, at uh, skill development. Dave Pocock learnt a lot of his lifting off his grandfather. Um, so I think, I think the investment in your development as a young athlete is, is critical. Yeah, and I know, I know your time at, at the Wallabies. You were instrumental in sort of setting up the the athlete development sort of setup there. How how did you go about that, and what what do you focus on with with younger athletes? Oh, I was I was part of a group. Um, one of your countrymen, Kelvin Giles, was a, a very instrumental man in that. Fantastic coach from whom I've learnt um, more than I can ever thank him for. Um, but there are a lot of other good good coaches in there. Um, John Pryor, who's gone on to do some great things. Um, you know, um, so what we done, what we did was try to work through those basics to give coaches on that development end of the spectrum an idea of what to do because what you do see at the Wallabies, you've got to be honest. I'm not really developing anyone. I'm just trying to um, – you're just trying to make sure they're ready to go. Now – now, it's a few years ago now, but 2003, we actually got pre-season time. I mean, I had six-week, I think I had six or seven-week run-up into the 2003 World Cup where players were back in their home states and I was just conditioning. So I was, I was literally at that time flying from a morning session in Sydney to a Brisbane session in the afternoon back down to Canberra for a session the next morning. But we were able to do these big conditioning blocks. Those things don't happen now, really. By the time players go from, certainly in Australia, they'll go from super rugby into test rugby, back out to super rugby. Um, it, there's no, the, the pre-season windows are so small. So um, I think that's why I, I, I'd probably browbeat that need for young athletes to really get the basics down so incredibly well so that once you get to that national level that you've, your training volume doesn't have to be as high or it can only be high for short periods to make sure you get back up to your, to your best. Yeah, some, some great info. Right, so um, I know you've got a, an ebook about density training and we've, we've spoken about escalating density training, more yep. for kind of strength and hypertrophy, but you've got a slightly yep. different taking it. Explain your kind of uh, way you use density training with your athletes. 
Um, that book was probably written a, a little while ago, and I probably really could do to to upgrade it. But I think the the core construct is to ensure that when you're programming, you don't eliminate the concept of density because if you just work on escalating uh, the load, um, most people will elevate load and volume at the same time, which overloads the athlete in it, not always inappropriately, but I think it it uh, reduces the efficiency with which you can get development. Utilising density and understanding that the rate of work completed across a period of time is a core construct of repeated effort sports, which is what rugby and AFL and all field-based team sports are. They're repeat speed sports or repeat power sports. So the concept of density, I mean, I can say I had a conversation this morning. I've got a, a ruckman who would be well-suited to rugby, um, about six foot, probably six foot five, six foot six, 110 kilos. Um, I could make him a lot bigger if he didn't have to run 10, 12K in a game, but um, very power-orientated guy. And he's now lifting um, while he's away because we're – away from the club based on the COVID stuff, he's now lifting a density set where he has a, he maintains a certain weight. Let's say he pairs. So he's going we, like the old peripheral hard action stuff. So he'll go squat in chin up and he'll go squat at a, at a modest weight for six reps into a chin for six and he's got to get them completed and then restart every minute. So... Kind of every you know every minute on the minute type thing. He'll go for six sets. When he can complete that, he's got four series of two exercises, and then they will escalate. So then, if he can go the next week, or so the next session, if he completes the six, he can go to seven. Then he can go to eight, and then we go back down to six with another five percent weight on on board. But the idea is there that your your volume's coming up, but we can then we're moving the controlling the density by saying that it's right you've got to complete this every minute and when you fail when the when you fail on the density component i.e you can't complete it on the minute then that's a signal to say okay we stop we stay at this level we don't advance any further so i think density is just one one of the program variables that i think gets overlooked yeah no, that's a that's a great idea and, and i think it's just having a, a progression method built into it rather than like you said just trying to increase intensity and volume is having a set yeah, progression yeah. and and like say when they've adapted they know they can progress rather than just trying to do it randomly yeah and i think a lot of people like athletes will appreciate we always everyone talks about you know build the base build the base but i see a lot of people building the base with intensity and it's not the way to go and density modeling and density you know as you said escalating density type models are fantastic at building this huge work capacity underneath. Um, I think that's extremely valuable. Yeah, definitely. Also, I think when you do, you tend to do sets with lower reps, uh, but build volume through that way, you actually practice it under better conditions. You know, it's, it's more... Oh, of course. More efforts at, you know, unracking and, and starting a squat or more effort, more... They're more reps explosively performed, which again is goes back to the sport of repeated high intensity efforts. So it's definitely well. I think if you if you take that to the running model, so we, I mean, I used to use it in rugby, and I still use it today. All the the MAS or maximal aerobic speed type sessions, and I've got a few 
crazy variance on that, but it's the same logic. You can acquire distance at a modest speed, but you're doing, as you said, more accelerations. Even though they're not maximal, you still have to accelerate more and more times, which when you're conditioning in rugby, a big guy to get up, get off the ground and get moving. If we can get you going, you can be at the next breakdown. You can position and take a run. Um, those repeated exposures are just so much better than doing, you know, a long, slow run or, a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a five-minute run, stuff like that, even though they have their place. But that, that repeated density type stuff's yeah, absolutely awesome and very effective. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right now, so as we've mentioned, the, the current COVID-19 situation, people are stuck at home and uh, some people might have to rely on bodyweight training only. So what would be your suggestions then or your approach for bodyweight training? Oh, mate, um, well, there's two two lines I've been talking about in the last sort of couple of weeks. Um, Charles Poliquin's old thing before he went crazy, the um, German... German volume training, 10 sets of 10. You know, that's that's always a classic. Um, again, you do 10 sets of 10 and you do them on a 90-second clock and say, okay, now I do 10 sets of 10 on a 70-second clock. And that's that density modelling again. Yeah. Um, the other one that I don't believe has a name, but I have employed it a little bit myself. I remember reading about a powerlifter many, many years ago who set up a modest weight bench press in his kitchen and so every time he went through the kitchen he had to he had to pull out some nominal like let's say six reps just for a round number and the, it might have been you know a 70 percent 60 70 percent weight so it wasn't wasn't too extraordinary by any stretch but it still required him to put in a little bit of effort but he could do it without fundamentally warming up too much and again, that's that uh, that idea that he was able to build a stack of volume by doing that, and had great success off that. So that idea that you know you keep doing little bits all day is just a little bit of a variant on, okay, it's seven o'clock in the morning, I've got to do something again. Yeah, definitely. I, I've heard it called uh, like grease the groove because you grease just continue. The groove. That's that's it. No, yeah. you're absolutely correct. Yeah, and it works works wonders with pull-ups as well. If you can get a pull-up bar in your in the doorway at home, it's that's awesome for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Now I, I kind of touched on on this earlier, and that you've been you've been at um, Fremantle for a, a long period of time. And one of your your latest blog posts, um, you talk about kind of dealing with high turnover in players, with a lot of senior players um, retiring and kind of younger guys coming through. Now, what what have you experienced with that, and what have you learned from that? Uh, we've we've currently carry the uh, second youngest list in the AFL. Uh-huh. So um, one of the challenges we have probably relates to my comment earlier when you asked me about what could rugby players do better, better is we, we see two types of athletes um, come through at the younger age at the moment. We have, we have the kid who comes through who's probably been exposed to some good systems and they're they're pretty ready to go. You know, they've got a they've got a, a well-rounded skill set that we can utilise. You know, we can build on. Uh, and understanding in AFL, you get kids at 18 years of age. So we've got development kids. Um, that being said, some of the ones who get drafted in first uh, in the top 10 are expected to play. So you get a couple of kids like that that are they've done plenty of work. They're ready to go. But then you get these other kids. 
um, some of which the recruiters will pick as speculation picks. Oh, they've got a bit of talent. Um, they call it a lot of football upside, um, but then it's our responsibility as conditioning coaches to make get them ready, but they want them ready quickly. And these are kids that have done nothing. And quite often because they're so high, highly regarded within the draft system and they've been told how good they are, a lot of these kids have a very, very um, – unrealistic opinion of what they are and what they can do. And you know, I've unfortunately had quite a number of these athletes in the recent years where at the moment this past summer I had to babysit three of them. Like, so as the most senior coach, I let my 2IC run most of everything and I would do these one-on-one sessions with these, you know, what I call the recalcitrant group because they're high-value players to us but their physical preparation is terrible their adherence to programs is terrible. Um, they're not bad guys in, in any stretch of the imagination. They're just not what we would consider well-rounded professional athletes. So in terms of us investing as a club, we've had to change the way we deliver because I have to put my time into these guys because um, they require the most attention. And you layer on top of all that. These guys are the ones who get injured. So not only are you dealing with an undergunned athlete, but then you're also dealing with injuries that have occurred because of that. Typically, they're back injuries. You know, we have the lumbar disc stuff because the, the lumbar spine is just taking inordinate load in the course of them playing the game. Um, yeah, so the balance is, is, is kind of shifted a bit. Um, as I said, which comes back to my point, I'd love to see 16 in AFL, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, just better conditioned, not they don't have to lift heavy, super heavy weights, just better conditioned all around, um, you know, trunk stability, trunk integrity, glute activation, glute control, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting, and, and it kind of goes back to, you know, you've been working there for such a long period of time, but... You, you know, you think you have it all all kind of sorted, your philosophy sorted, but not that you've changed your philosophy, but you've had to adapt to things oh, absolutely. You know, because of your players, because of the environment. So it's, um, and that's really probably the thing I've – a few people have talked to me about recently. I've had to – I've changed the way I've had to approach things because the nature of the athletes has changed. Yeah. I don't – I mean, I've, I've gotten um, better. I've learnt – I learn things all the time. Um, but I've had to make changes in the way myself and my staff approach the group because the nature of the players has changed. The unrealistic expectation that, I mean, I had a player join us last year who'd played six games of Australian rules football in in what we call the elite development pathway. So only six games. Most kids would play maybe two years in there and get, you know, 14, 15 games. And he came in and he had this opinion that he could lift everything under the sun. And the kid was an absolute rake. But, I mean, he was neurally gifted. Mum and dad had given him, you know, the lightning. In the end, what ended up happening, I ended up taking him for a little while more one-on-one. And I just worked his squad up and let him let him expose, I exposed him to some weight he could move safely um, with very close spotting. Anyway, he did really well. 
But what he doesn't now understand still 12 months later, you can't keep making those gains. Hmm. Like, son, I just, we got you up and we, we moved you quickly to encourage you and bring you along. And all now you've got to listen to us and say that, okay, we've got to bring that down again and up and, and wave load and all the rest. But the, the, re, the expectation was just so unrealistic. It's, it's, and I find that to be a function of some of the younger generation at the moment. Yeah, it's that um, Im- immediate results thing. And, and oh, I, I guess absolutely. also if they're young and they get those initial gains, that's what kind of gets people hooked. But yeah, it's if, if, if only you could keep, continue to make progress like that all the way through your career. Well, they weren't even, they weren't even gains in the example I, I gave. All it was was making the environment safe for him right. to do what he could do. We really hadn't changed anything yet. Right. But like you said, he'd, he'd engaged, but just unrealistically so but you know that's the way i think we can't dictate the athletes that come to us it's like you can't you know you can choose your friends you you can't choose your family well realistically you can't choose your athletes either yeah you know you've got to you you get what you're given and we have to make it work there is no choice yeah, you're right, and it's it's find, finding a way, whatever their, you know, physical yeah. limitations or or personality as well, you know. Correct. Yeah, yeah you got to work within it, and I think, I again, I've probably people will be sick of hearing me say this if you've heard me anywhere else recently, but like I agree with the Brett Bartholomew and the Nick Winkleman talking a lot about cues and getting. You, yes, you've got to be correct, and and you've got to. Um, You've got to approach athletes individually, and, and I, I get all that. But if, if as a coach you can't make the technical decisions to get them where you need them, you know, none of that matters. So you've got to, I think, the ability to make the changes I have is probably predicated on the fact that I've been around long enough to say, well, okay, I can see how I can cut this up differently. And then you apply all the the uh, interpersonal skills to get it across the line. Yeah, we're on a, on a really good uh, trail of thought here, and which lines up nicely for my next question. We ask all the guests on the podcast: is what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach? Coach, 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 coach. Everyone who all the young ones I have come through. At the moment, uh, and I think it's getting harder. You know, I think it's harder now than it was when I came through in the in the mid '90s, because there's more of us. There's much more of us. Um, coach, practice, practice. Even if you're out there personal training and you, you're training the dad and the mum and the whatever, all those things you you learn your skills. You learn the interpersonal skills. You learn to understand what works, what doesn't work. Um, how to problem solve. So when you've got the, the 40-year-old guy with the grotty knee, man, I'm telling you, you're going to get 30-year-old athletes with grotty knees that you can't. You know, I've got a great player. I've got a player who's, you know, won out, you know, the league best and fairest last year. He can't squat like he squatted six years ago because he's got multiple, broke his leg twice. He's got a back injury on top of that. Like, we can't do it. So we have to do it differently. Um, but all those things, like the previous subject we're on, your ability to move around that comes from having done multiple things over time and, 
and got those experiences. So you've got more things to draw upon. And even if you don't have the answer, you can have the creativity to build a new answer that um, you know can solve your problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and, and in line with that, are there any uh, books you'd recommend? And you can obviously plug your own if, if you want. Oh, no. My, the book I wrote was for probably general health more than I think the I think if you're going to recommend books I think um, uh, I definitely think um, Zatsvyorsky's textbook um, which the name is going to allude is it science and uh, practice is it that one science and practice the fundamentals of science and practice that's it yeah, that's it yeah. Zatsvyorsky I think that's a cornerstone cornerstone text a um, lot of basics in that. Um, I think even uh, I just sent a couple of books to one of my athletes. Uh, Christian Thibodeau wrote a book, his little black book of strength and power. Um, Christian Thibodeau is a, a Canadian coach. Um, I really like a lot of the research he did uh, in and around that book. Um, yeah. and some really good stuff. He's got a lot of work he does with bodybuilders, but don't hold that against him. I think there's <laughs> some good good coaches. He coaches a lot of guys in ice hockey and stuff. I mean, um, but his book was very, very good. Um, made on a massive Charlie Francis fan. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot um, off his work. Uh, so anything Charlie Francis wrote is worth looking at. Um, he did a bunch of um, well, videos back in the day, but they've now become DVDs and the like. Um, just a lot of his general prep training, um, I still to this day, the way he general prepped his 100-meter runners, I, I use that all the time. Um, I think the very, his, his integration of understanding um, that running and strength training adjust modalities, the reason you do them and the means why you're doing them might be different. So you might run an athlete as a strength component. Um, you might do training, uh, you know, speed drills as a strength component, not necessarily as something for speed. Um, I think a lot of young athletes struggle to get that concept down pat. But, um, yeah, Charlie Francis is a jet. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and lastly, Jason, where can people learn more about you? Um, my little website, oldbullfitness.com. Um, just a silly old name. But, yeah, I've got, I've got a bunch of blogs on there. I try to write things that I think have uh, meaning for people. So, yeah, there's a, a whole bunch of articles on there. Uh, feel free to drop by and have a have a bit of a look. Awesome, yeah. And, of course, we'll share links to that in the show notes. But uh, lastly, yeah, Jason, thanks, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Tons of great info and, and sharing like your experience, you know, through Wallabies and AFL. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, and thanks cool. very much. Thanks for having us, Jamie. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you, Jason. Great to talk to you and all the best in the future. In the meantime, guys, more podcasts on the way. I'm, I'm capitalising on this lockdown time being stuck at home uh, and getting tons more in the calendar. So stay tuned. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes or TuneIn. And of course, give us a five star review. Uh, keep checking us out uh, on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, whatever you use. And of course, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.